right, hello and welcome back to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Ben Sandick here. I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic, which means I'm in playoff mode, people. The Washington football team is going to host Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Saturday night at FedEx Field. Therefore, we need to discuss what is going on with this team, with this game, and a few other things going on with this Washington football team, including the general manager search. So here's how we're going to do that on this episode of the podcast. My uh, uh, friend, Nikki Jabvala with the Washington Post, is going to stop by and talk with me about this game, this team, what, what some other things going on with Washington. And then my colleague with The Athletic, Greg Allman, is going to be on as well to g- give us the perspective from the Tampa Bay uh, angle, Tom Brady, and, and I think a defense that doesn't get talked about enough in this matchup that I think is going to be very important. So we'll get to all of that and more here on the Standard Room Only podcast. Um, we're going to, uh, oh, what am I saying? You can, of course, find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, all that. If you're an iTunes person, you know, I hate, I hate constantly asking for it to leave a rating and a review. I never tell you what to write or what to rate, but obviously, you know, the more we get of that, the better it is, the more exposure it gives to the podcast and these things help. So I appreciate that. Once we get to a certain point, you know, it's still, still a new podcast. Once we get to a certain point, we can kind of move on from there. But for now, that is what we, uh, that we'll, what we kind of need to, uh, to do now. Uh, you can also, of course, find me on Twitter at Ben Standig. If you want to email me, uh, Uh I think that's enough. Oh, subscribe to The Athletic, of course. I definitely appreciate what you guys checking that out. It's been a huge help. Uh, everybody who's you know who's, who helps support me and my colleagues on The Athletic, trust me when I say that we really appreciate it uh, for, for real, for real. So before we get to the game, I wanted to get into some of this general manager talk because it's a very interesting situation. Now, obviously, Washington has this game going on, <laughs> and that is the primary story, as it should be. Uh, you know, not only did they win the division, at set, you know, yes, seven and nine is odd, but they won nonetheless. They're going to be in the playoffs. They're one of, uh, you know, 14 teams uh, with a chance to, uh, to make some noise this postseason. Obviously, nobody's going to pick Washington to beat Tampa Bay, let alone get any beyond, you know, get, get, get deep into the postseason. But they have that they have that chance. Great stories. Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Alex Smith, obviously, what Ron Rivera has gone through. There's a lot to, to there's a lot there to discuss. But lurking is what happens when the season ends, right? Because there's now been a lot of speculation about what Washington is going to do with the GM spot. Um, they've had this vacancy since Ron Rivera was hired. We all know this coach-centered um, setup that Dan Snyder offered and Rivera accepted, where basically he has final say. He's not the general manager by name, but he has the say there in terms of personnel, with Kyle Smith overseeing the personnel department. But you know, Ron Rivera is effectively the general manager just without the title. And then all the rumors and speculation has been that they're going to, that that's going to be filled, right? We've seen names thrown out um, by various reports, NFL network, sports illustrated, and some others perhaps have mentioned some names. Um, who, who are some of these names? Marty Herney, former Carolina general manager, obvious sense, right? Ron Rivera worked with him uh, twice in Carolina. So that would be an obvious one. Herney has ties to this area. He's from here and was a sports writer in this town and so on. 
guys like Martin Mayhew was a former player here during the, uh, the, the, the final Super Bowl championship team. He was a general manager with the Detroit Lions for several years. Uh, you've got guys like Ryan uh, Cowden, uh, who is currently one of the top personnel executives with the Tennessee Titans. He's also was a longtime member of the Panthers uh, front office. Um, you know, th- there's other names that are out there. The, the, the names are not so much important to where I'm about to go with this. And, you know, if you want to mention, of course, Kyle Smith, currently VP of player personnel, who's obviously been overseeing Washington's draft in recent years. This past season, he you know moved up to sort of oversee all of the uh, the transactions and obviously Washington part of the reason they've had a, a, a division winning year. I don't know if I could technically say a good year, but a division winning year is because what they did in free agency in the draft and Kyle Smith gets a lot of credit for that. I would think, but what's interesting is sort of this idea that they're going to just sort of hire a general manager just because there's an opening. As you recall, there was an opening before Ron Rivera came on board. They haven't had a general manager since Scott McLuhan was fired in like what, March of 2017, uh, Bruce Allen effectively was that GM. He was technically, he was the team president, but it essentially was serving in the role of general manager, but they haven't actually had one. And before McLuhan came on board, they didn't have one either. Um, you had the Mike Shanahan was effectively serving in that role, but you didn't have a GM. So somehow we, it's been, it's been said that they're going to have a GM definitively. Well, and and that and then therefore specifically, because these names, because there are names out there, these specifics infer that Ron Rivera has plans for the position. But in reality, from what I'm told, such considerations, including the hiring of anyone for the GM opening, is premature. And uh, what my sense is is this that regardless of when this season ends, whether it's Saturday night against Tampa Bay at FedEx field or where they go, or it goes beyond Rivera is not expected to drill down with any front office plans, including specifying any role or candidates until Washington season concludes. This was told to me by a source familiar with the situation. Now, I think I wrote a couple weeks ago about when Washington played Seattle and we, I had a chance to, to talk to Pete Carroll Uh, He talks to reporters every week, and my questions to Pete Carroll involved this exact setup. He's one of the more notable coach-centered situations in the league. Rivera cited him and others um, when he took the job, and yet Pete Carroll has a noted general manager in John Schneider, who is rumored to be possibly in the mix for, I think, the Detroit job. But nonetheless, um, you know, one of the things I asked Pete Carroll was, how, how is it that we know you? But we also know your GM was a pretty no, uh, big name within this world. How do you guys make this work where it isn't just you're running the show? And he explained, and you can read about this on The Athletic, he basically explained that when he was hired, he made it clear he wanted to be part of the conversation about the GM hire, but he simultaneously didn't just want it to be that like he's running the show. He wanted to have a partner with him and that he and John Schneider work well together. And, you know, John Schneider feels like to a degree has autonomy over what he does within that personnel world. But Pete Carroll is is there. And I guess ultimately, if they had some disagreement, Pete Carroll could make final say, but that they work well together. They see the world together and um, and so on. And that's what's interesting about this situation with Ron Rivera. People just keep saying hire a GM, hire a GM, but we don't know what that means. What do you mean by hire a GM? 
I wrote about this uh, recently in an article about effectively about Kyle Smith. And I think the headline was something of what does it, what does a title mean? Because that title can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different uh, people. It could mean that you have um, full control of the personnel department. I guess effectively similar to what John Schneider has. What does full control mean? That you're making the, the that your decisions. Also, it means you're hiring your own staff. As a reminder, when Ron Rivera came on board and after Washington fired Alex Santos and Richard Mann, um, Rivera hired two people from Carolina to come in and um, run, run the show. He didn't ask. He didn't have Kyle Smith hire those people. He hired those people. Would a new general manager want to say, "Well, I want the job, but I want to bring in my own staff, people I feel comfortable with"? That seems like a logical um, move. But maybe Rivera wouldn't want that. Maybe he's like, "Well, this is the group. I want you to oversee that group." Um, is the job more administrative? than it is about personnel. There is a lot that goes on with these things. In fact, the front Washington's front office is still a man down since the Bruce Allen firing, right? Because Bruce Allen was a team president, and yes, Jason Wright is the team president, but Jason Wright's only dealing on the business end. So that doesn't really count from the football structure. Bruce Allen was effectively serving as the GM. That is not That position is still not filled. So just from a manpower perspective, or female power perspective if they went that right if they went down that route they still need somebody else and, and i'm sure rivera now having gone through this for a year he's obviously gone through a lot here with the washington football organization this year he, maybe he has seen boy there's a lot of things that go on here you know there's obviously um you know we think about the gm as the guy who's uh, the person who's making trades studying the draft things along those lines but you know there is more to it that than, than that there is a lot of sort of um admin type uh, t- type work. Maybe you know, he wants it to be more of that with Kyle Smith still running uh, the personnel department. Uh, whatever, the, whatever the situation is, it is important to know what the role is because so, for example, I'm just making this up. Maybe Marty Herney, who's now been a GM for a while, maybe he's willing to come work with Ron Rivera again, but he doesn't want that. He, he's happy to let, to, to cede some of that to Kyle Smith or somebody else in that role of sort of overseeing the, the draft and, 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 and NFL free agents, but he's willing to be a voice in the room and be more uh, of an executive dealing with some of the, as I said, sort of the admin things. You have people like Rick Smith, the former Houston Texans GM or, or Martin Mayhew. Maybe they say, look, I've had this job before. I know what, what it means. And I want that kind of control. I want to be your John Schneider as as it were. Um, If somebody like a Ryan Cowden, uh, I'm Joe, I'm not sure I'm saying his last name right, but Joe Shane, Joe Shone from Buffalo, who I believe also has some ties uh, to, to the Rivera world. Maybe they're like, hey, if I'm going to make this jump into my first role as a GM, I don't want it to be where, you know, I'm sort of not really in charge. I want to be that, have more of that control. And, uh, you know, some of these guys are going to have other opportunities. Lots of people are getting interviewed for jobs these days. Uh, or it certainly feels like there's been more people being interviewed for jobs for sure. So, um, and I think that's probably because of the Zoom setups, right? People, you don't have to fly people in and out uh, to, to, to meet them. You can do four interviews a day over Zoom and uh, and go from uh, and go from there. So, I, I think there's, I think it's just a lot going on. So, my point here is that. I'm not saying that there won't be a GM search. I'm not saying that some of the names we've heard, the Marty Hernies, uh, 
the you know the the, the Martin Mayhews and so on aren't in play as has been reported. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the idea of a GM search is being overstated because from what I'm told, it hasn't even been defined on the, on this end as to what that even means. So just keep that in mind. And, and by, you know, again, just to sort of set the table for the off season, you've got the obvious things like free agents, Brandon Sheriff, Ryan Kerrigan, some guys like Ronald Darby, you know, the Brandon Sheriff is obviously a big deal. They just kept Chase Ruye, but are you going to keep Brandon Scherf? Uh, you know, what is he going to want? Something akin to the $15 million he's getting right now on the franchise tag. Does Washington think that he's worth it considering he's missed, I want to say, 18 games over the last four years? He's obviously a, a plays at a high level, pro bowler again for the fourth time, but he's going to turn, he'll turn 30 next, next calendar year, or I guess later this year, I should say. I forget we're in January. <laughs> um, that's one of these decisions that somebody's going to have to, uh, to, to, to make. Uh, if it is a new GM, are they going to do a better job at identifying some of that sort of, um, you know, I, I don't want to say bargain bin talent because that's a little disrespectful, but like a Logan Thomas, a JD McKissick, uh, Ronald Darby, th- these were a lot of, these were players that not everybody was excited about and they've all turned out to be pretty good. I know we focus a lot about Sean Davis, but like, you know, by and large, they did a really good job in free agency this year. And obviously the draft, as well, Chase Young, maybe it was obvious, maybe it wasn't, but they took him at two. I think it was obvious, but, you know, could have got, taken a quarterback. They went Chase Young, and I don't think anyone's complaining about that. Antonio Gibson in the third round, at this point, looks like a steal, right? Uh, Cameron Curl in the seventh round, so on and so on. So, you know, uh, Kyle Smith has done a good job. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, And by the way, yes, I know what you're all asking. If so, If they bring in another GM, what does this mean for Kyle Smith? Well, I don't know. That That's part of it, too. Does Ron Rivera want to keep? Kyle Smith, does he tell somebody, hey, I want you to come here. I want your voice. I want you to be part of this operation. But this guy over here, he's still, we want him to keep doing what he's been doing. But we want you, you know, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot to get into. Oh, by the way, they need a quarterback. <laughs> and that's probably priority number one this offseason. What's our plan? I think if we, I think we've learned that it can't realistically be Alex Smith. Big, You can't go into a season saying how we're going to count on Alex Smith considering what we're seeing now where a calf injury that doesn't seem that serious is severely limiting him. And, you know, we'll see if Alex Smith even wants to play after this year. I know Ron Rivera has said a lot of nice things about Kyle Allen and not questioning that Kyle Allen could play quarterback in this league, but is he somebody you really want as your starting quarterback? That's another conversation you have to have with this new general manager. If Ron Rivera says yes, for argument's sake, maybe a new GM's like, eh, I don't see the world that way. So I'm out. Or maybe there's more wiggle room in this and, and, and they come to an accord of we're going to look at the draft, we're going to look in for agency, maybe we make a trade, but we we need to get somebody outside the building. Either way, I just think we need to slow down with this idea that there's a that there is a GM search and that anything has been defined because from what I was told uh, by again a source close to the situation, familiar with the situation, I don't think that's necessarily the case today. I'm talking to you guys on Tuesday night. By Saturday night, will things start to move if they were to lose? Perhaps uh, at some point, Ron Rivera is going to have to get to this. Uh, but if, if from what I'm understanding is correct, that hasn't happened yet. Thus making all this GM talk while interesting. I'm a big fan of the hot stove league on all these fronts. It's fun conversation, but it, it, we're not there yet. So ultimately defining the role comes first, along with then determining a pool of candidates. Should you look to add something? So despite the recent rumors, that's apparently not happening until the season ends. 
Maybe that's Saturday night, but based on Washington's unpredictable campaign so far, we will see. All right. Uh, no, no, uh, no question about what's coming up here next on the podcast. Greg Allman from uh, The Athletic, Nikki Jabala uh, from The Washington Post. Of course, let me just uh, do the introductions for them now. You can follow Nikki on Twitter at Nikki, N-I-C-K-I, Jabala, J-H-A-B-V-A-L-A. She does a great job with the post to my annoyance at times because, uh, you know, I don't I, I, I need to be the one doing the, the good work on the beat. <laughs> I kid. Uh, and Greg Allman, uh, he, uh, he's, he's, it's been really interesting getting to, to watch his, uh, to, to read his stuff covering the box. He is at Greg, A-U-M-A-N on Twitter. I'm going to talk to Greg first. We'll get to that right now. All right. As promised, joining me here on the, uh, standard room only podcast, our Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, insider, Greg Allman. Greg, first of all, I really appreciate it, man. Uh, you are uh, uh, one, of, one of my favorite p- uh, people to write uh, on The Athletic, and it's been fun to, 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 uh, to track what's going on this year because you obviously landed one of the league's rock stars in Tom Brady, and of course that's what everybody's going to want to talk about this matchup, and I'll get to him in a second. Um, I guess just first off, I'm curious. You've probably known for a minute you were going to play an NFC East team. <laughs> you, did you like what was the perspective from your end and maybe even uh, to the people you've talked to with the organization or, or if it's come up in, in, in Zooms or things like that about the idea of facing an, a, a team under 500 and then maybe specifically Washington? Yeah, I think it was like three weeks ago that that it kind of I mean, they had been seven and five where they were, you know, barely in the cusp of making the playoffs at that point. And it's one of those where you, you do the math and it's like, well, if they can win out. Uh, and the Rams Seahawks loser can lose one game. They can get the five seed, um, which, you know, right away um, you recognize as an opportunity. It's like, if you're going to be a wild card, you might as well be a wild card going to a team that has a losing record like this. So, uh, and then in, in the last week, you know, I think, I think, Things look good for the Bucks to be able to do it, but it was still so wide open in terms of not knowing is it the Redskins, is it the Washington, is it is it the Cowboys, is it the Giants, and not even knowing necessarily what the ideal opponent was of those because the Cowboys had gotten hot and had won three in a row. Uh, you know, the Bucks already went to the Giants once and barely beat them. I mean, they beat the Giants on a last-second failed two-point conversion in which a flag was even pulled up. I mean, it, it you don't really get much closer than that. And then Washington, which, you know, obviously brings it from the defensive side of things, hasn't had the scoring, uh, but is one of the better defenses they can say they've faced this year. Yeah, it's it, it was a uh, – we don't need to get into the NFC East too much, but it was such a bizarre year because at various <laughs> yeah. points, all the teams looked like they were going to be the team to to, to, to go to, to run yeah. away with it. And while I get why Washington – it, it worked out for them. The combination of the defense played well, but also it was the it was the month where Alex Smith looked yeah. like a, a real quarterback. But the thing now is he doesn't, and 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 it's just hard <laughs> for him to 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 move and all that. But I, I am sort of curious. So look, uh, the, all the talk is if Washington is going to get this done, their defense is probably going to have to lead the way. And in most of the games recently, they've had an edge defensively, but I don't know if that's that's the case here and while Brady and the offense get all the attention, you know, you look at the numbers, Tampa Bay's defense is, you know, top 10 in a lot of categories. Uh, You you know, they're ahead of Washington in sacks, really good against the run. Uh, But, but simultaneously, there's a few guys dealing with this COVID situation that may not be playing. It sounds like, so I guess 
what is what 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 do people need to know about this defense and how much is it going to be affected by some of these players who may not be on the field Saturday? Yeah, the big thing for Saturday is that Devin White, who's their inside linebacker, their second year guy was a top five pick in 19, uh, will not play. Um, he he kind of needed them to play on Sunday to be able to go this weekend. And because it's a Saturday, he, he just won't be out of the quarantine window that he needs to be out of. Um, and that's a loss. I mean, he's their leading tackler. He's got nine sacks. They use him really well, uh, blitzing and getting to the quarterback. Um, they've got a guy named Kevin Minter, uh, who's a vet, who's definitely not as fast, but has stepped in pretty well uh, when needed, had nine tackles in the win against the Falcons. But he's definitely a step slower than Devin White. They're definitely not as good in the middle. Um, and when you think about teams that, use the tight end well with Logan Thomas to throw the ball a million times to a guy like McKissick. Linebackers are a big position. Um, they do have the number one run defense in the NFL. They take a lot of pride in that. Um, so I think anything they do is going to start there, is going to want to be keeping that run game in check. Um, they know Peyton Barber well from the last four years here in Tampa. Um, but yeah, this is a defense that, I mean, I don't think it has the acclaim that Washington's front does um, and probably hasn't been as consistent. It's like you see that Washington has held, I think it's seven straight opponents to 20 points or less, which is commendable in this day and age of lots of scoring and lots of passing. Um, you know, I think the Bucks have had flashes where they've been really good, but they've also had flashes where they're very vulnerable, especially against the pass. Um, I suspect like many people, I wondered if Jason Pierre, if we, you know, we'd seen the best of Jason Pierre Paul when he had the fireworks incident a few years ago. And, you know, I'll be honest, like, you know, obviously when he was with the Giants, I was paying more attention since he left, you know, not as much. He's still really good. Are, are, I mean, like, how good, how good is he? And, and are you surprised, I guess, or maybe it's been so long that he's been playing at a really high level. I guess I'm just sort of just was like, wow, he's still bringing it. It's been, you know, not just because of the injury, but it's been a few yeah. years now and he's still, he's still pretty good. Yeah, no, I, I was lucky. I, I covered Jason as a college player. I, I covered USF his one year he played major college football. So I've known him for a long time. Um, and like you said, I mean, it would have been really easy. I mean, you you have a massive fireworks accident like that and you lose, you know, two fingers. It would have been really easy for him never to get back to the player he was, you know, first couple of years in the league, first round draft pick, double digit sack guy. And I think the Giants kind of, you know, saw him come back. But clearly, you know, you go back uh, – you go back to when he came to Tampa, Giants gave up on him. I mean, Giants took like a $20 million cap hit to be rid of him. Didn't think he could play in a 3-4. Um, Bucks got him for, you know, a third-round draft pick. And he's been, like you said, he's been great for them. Barely comes off the field. Um, you're talking about a guy that plays like 85% of the snaps as a pass rusher, which there's not many of those. Close to 1,000 snaps a year. Um, you know, first year, I think he had 12 and a half sacks, you know, was the first guy they had in ages to get double digit sacks. They hadn't had anybody get to 10 sacks in a season since Simeon Rice in 2005, the longest drought in the league. And then JPP comes back and does that, um, you know, last year, as well as that went last year. I mean, he had this terrible car accident where he spun out middle of the night on a, you know, he's got a kind of sports car you don't want to take into a median and he fractured his neck i mean he literally had a vertebra fractured in his neck and was wearing a brace around for four months um you didn't know if he again like the hand injury you don't know if he's going to come back is he ever going to be the same and he came back and as soon as he could i mean came off ir last year played the last 10 games had eight and a half sacks got another contract and he's been even better. I mean, he led them in sacks this year, nine and a half sacks. Uh, he's got two interceptions for a guy that doesn't have two hands. That's incredible. Um, you know, he's done everything they've needed him to do. Um, I would think, I mean, they've got 
you know, they give him a two-year deal. So came back and he's relatively a good deal. It's two years and 25 million. I'm sure he'll be back again next year. Um, I think he just turned 32 this week. I think he's a January 1st birthday, maybe. Uh, but he and Sue both are guys that don't show their age at all and, and will be a big part of whatever is trying to stop uh, Washington's run game and, and get to Alex Smith on Saturday. Um, all right. We spent enough time on the defense. <laughs> Let's get to the fun stuff. Um, yeah. Before I ask you about what to expect from the offense, you got to cover Tom Brady this year. Unfortunately, you got to do it during a pandemic, which means like like we've had here, you've only been in Zoom uh, in, right. in a Zoom situation. Do you feel gypped that you get to cover Tom Brady and have not actually been – I assume you've not met Tom Brady. Right. Yeah, I've not had a face-to-face with him yet. It's strange. Uh, so it is wonderful to have Tom Brady in town, to have all the attention that comes with it, all the – even casual football fans that know exactly who he is. Um, it, it makes the team more relevant. It certainly makes them better outright to be an 11 win team. Now uh, this is my eighth year full-time covering the team. They, they haven't been to the playoffs and have really, really sniffed it once. So for them to be 11 to five and, and in the playoffs and, and playing a, a playoff game is a whole new thing. So yeah, it's been strange to have that happen under COVID. It's a lot like having the Super Bowl in Tampa this year, but with barely a crowd at all and, and not nearly all the fun things that usually come with a Super Bowl. Uh, but people here in Tampa will certainly take it and, and appreciate uh, what a difference it is to have a player like that at quarterback. Um, the the standard operating procedure is if you're going to beat Tom Brady, you have to pressure and make him uncomfortable as if that's unique to quarterbacks. Uh, but he is a guy that stays in the pocket. Washington has struggled this year with mobile quarterbacks, not an issue Saturday. Uh, but can they rush the passer up? Effectively enough is the question. I mean, Brady gets, I think, you know, as much or more time in the pocket than, than just about anybody. I, I did see a stat that um, that said that in the seven games in, in which he faced more pressure, combination of sacks, hits, hurries, things like that, um, the most Tampa Bay was only three and four in those games. Now, granted, right. three of those losses were against the two against the Saints, one against the Chiefs. So that's a little bit different deal. But Washington can rush the passer. Uh, what? Is it too simplistic to say rush Tom Brady, make him comfortable and you have a shot? And even if it is, even if it is, does Tampa have enough on the line to slow Washington down? Yeah, I think that's the absolute matchup that this game will hinge on in that if you can take away Brady or if you can limit Brady, then anything is possible for Washington. I mean, they, they've put up 44 and 47 in their last two games, albeit against bad defenses and bad teams. Uh, but yeah, when they've struggled, it's because teams have gotten to Brady. Um, they've forced him, you know, if you can get the Bucks to be behind where you know they're throwing, that can help with that. I do think some of those games where he was sacked more and struggled more with turnovers, they had three games where they were without their guard, Ali Marpet, uh, who's a really good lineman and a big part of, of kind of protecting the integrity of that pocket, the front of that pocket, and a big part of their run as well. So I think absolutely that is Washington's strength and it's a vulnerability for Tampa. They're so much better on the offensive line than they were a year ago. I think Jameis Winston got sacked like 47 times last year. And I forget the final number on Brady, but it's like 21, I think. It, it's it's less than half that. So they've really protected a lot better. Brady is a much smarter quarterback to get rid of the ball quickly. Um, has really done a good job of cleaning up. I mean, he had, I think he had seven turnovers in his three worst games in the two Saints losses and, and against the Rams. 
Uh, but he only has 12 for the entire season. So that's, you know, by recent buck standards, that's a really low number. Um, and obviously he's, he's very good in the playoffs at limiting his mistakes and limiting those turnovers. There was a stat on him against Jack Del Rio defenses. And it's pretty amazing. He's nine and one all time with 25 touchdowns and one interception in 10 games against Jack Del Rio. So that'll be fun to see. <laughs> um, well, we talked to Jack Del Rio, I think tomorrow, maybe I'll, or no, Thursday, maybe, maybe I'll mention that and see what he thinks. Um, Jack, got him once, Jack got him once in the playoffs. Jack beat him with Denver in the playoffs once. I think he got a little help from Peyton Manning throwing for 400 yards, but uh, it, that, that's a big one to take for any time you can get a, a postseason win against Tom Brady. Uh, that's a big one. Yeah, ab, 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 absolutely. Um, I was on the Zoom call today with you with Bruce Arians, oh, yeah. and uh, he mentioned that Mike Evans, if, if it had been an actual practice, wouldn't have practiced, but he sounded, as I guess, maybe as hopeful as possible about him being able to play, but I guess we don't know for, for, for sure, may not until Saturday, I, I guess, just based on your intuition, what's your sense of that? And then if he can't go, you still have Chris Godwin, still Antonio Brown, still Rob Gronkowski. So obviously it would be a big loss, but I presume maybe not as much as with other teams considering you saw right. uh, the Tampa Souls, those guys. Yeah, like to see him go down Sunday, it, it looked much more serious. I mean, he tried to get up and couldn't even put weight on his left legs. Everyone's fearing, you know, a bad, you know, you have a hyperextension. It, it certainly could be something that takes you out for the length of the playoffs. So for him to be day-to-day, for that to even be a, a question is remarkable. Um, I think realistically they'll wait until Thursday to test that knee and see how he goes. Um, but like I said, he's out there today at practice. He's got a helmet with him. That might have been the extent of the work he did, but he brought it out with him. Like you said, they're really well insulated against injury receiver. The whole idea in bringing Antonio Brown in was to make sure they were covered if they lost Chris Godwin, if they lost Mike Evans, to have one more elite Pro Bowl level Pro Bowl level target for uh, for Brady to throw to. So that would be that would be an area where they're they're kind of covered. You definitely want to have Mike Evans there in the playoffs. Uh, but again, having Godwin, having Antonio Brown and like you said Gronkowski he's still got lots of guys to throw to Ben let me ask you just to get some red so some Washington questions in here yeah I, I see the defense and I see how well they've they've won low scoring games do you think they can get themselves to the high 20s if it takes 27 or 30 points to win what can they do to get there on Saturday well, so I was going to ask you what what to this point like what did you think because I assume you, you obviously heard the news that Ron Rivera said they're contemplating, you know, maybe even yeah. having to rotate the quarterbacks. And I think that tells you everything right now about where yeah. things are at, regardless of why Ron Rivera r- revealed that maybe it's serious, maybe it's not. It's to the point of, we have no idea what to make of Alex Smith. When he had some time the other day against Philadelphia, he was able to find some, some, some uh, receivers and, and, and get the ball to them. But the Eagles defense was without numerous starters that obviously yeah. weren't trying on various levels not the players were trying but just broadly they weren't <laughs> and so it's hard to make any sense but also when anytime there was any pressure in the pocket at all he just could not move at all so if you take if you say well he's out we're going to go to taylor heineke i mean i just don't see uh, I, I mean unless you know he is the ultimate uh cinderella story it's just hard to imagine so right. washington has one thing we've learned about them this year is they have some offensive playmakers terry mclaurin but even he's not close to 100 percent Antonio Gibson, who's also been limited, he's really good. Uh, Logan Thomas has had a breakout year at tight end. Uh, J.D. McKissick's been fine, so they have some pieces. But I just with the, with the quarterback play, yeah, I don't, I don't see how they get twenty-one points 
unless you know barring the the the, the defensive or special teams uh, right. touchdown or getting set up. So I, I don't see it, which is why yeah, it comes down to how does Washington slow down Brady? I, I think. I mean, if Alex Smith was where he was a month ago when they had that four game winning streak. That might be a different story. I mean, he was looking good, but man, he just looks so compromised right now. They've yeah. won five stars in a row, so they're going to keep going as best they can, I'm sure. But I, I, yeah, I just don't see how they keep up. And that's why, you know, you never say never, but man, it really seems hard to imagine how they get this done unless Tampa Bay just kind of kind of gives it to them. Yeah, it's funny. It's like the, the Bucks will play the NFC East next year, so they get to play all four teams. And it's funny because the fans right now, are like, oh, that's great. They get to play the NFC East. They're all so terrible. And we were talking today that, again, that, that might be the case. Next next year, this could be a really improved division. You think about Saquon Barkley coming back. You think about Dak Prescott coming back. One way or the other, Washington will probably have a better quarterback situation at least than what they have right now. Uh, I'm not sure what to say about Philadelphia, but I think it could be a much better division. Obviously, when your champ is seven and nine, that's not a hard thing to say. But I think it'll be a tougher task than it would be if you got to play four games against the NFC East this year. Yeah, no, it's definitely a, a clown car of a division, and it's it's amazing that somebody <laughs> somebody had to advance. It was Washington, and I mean, it's crazy the Washington advance, but that they're going to face Tom Brady. I mean, this is the classic movie version. Nobody believes in the yeah, right. Nobody believes in Washington other than the people in that building. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. Greg, I, I appreciate it so much. Thanks uh, for the time. Congrats uh, on 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 all the work. And hopefully one day you and Mr. Brady will get to uh, ha- have a chat face to face. Hey, thanks very much. Enjoy the game on Saturday. All right. Now we're going to talk about the actual Washington football team with uh, our pal Nikki Jabala from The Washington Post, who I, I, look, I have to say you're doing this interview on the floor. I like my back hurt in the chair. I need to stretch out. And Look, it, you, you, you do what the, I want the guests to feel comfortable here. I want you to do what you do. But um, when I turned on the zoom, I was like, okay. You know, I mean, I fully embrace the zoom life and that I live in sweatpants and I oh. work while lying down on the floor. You know, <laughs> yeah, no, look, I, I, efficient. everybody's got to do them. Whatever, whatever that means. Uh, I, I am, uh, I think you and I have talked about this. I am sort of concerned about my own well-being whenever the season ends that I will never get fully dressed again. I mean, there will be clothes on, but like I will not take care of myself because who gives a crap? Now at least I have to be seen every once in a while. So sure, uh, who, who knows what it'll be, what, it'll zoom, what this podcast will be looking like in a, in a month or so. Could, could be, a, well, it'll be like more National Geographic than Sports Illustrated, I guess. I mean, I wish I could say that I cared before COVID, but I was a slob then too. So what does it matter at this point? <laughs> um, I, I doubt that. By the way, we're, we're going to talk about, I, I don't know if you guys have heard, there's a playoff game this week. <clears throat> the Washington football team is going to face Tom Brady and Tom Brady's teammates. Um, many of who, who's- Crazy talk. But it really, it really, it really is. It really is. I, every time I say it, I'm like, this is not actually happening. Actually, I was going to I was going to make a joke about uh, well did you see the big news on Twitter I just saw like right before we started talking about uh, Kanye West and Kim Kardashian which I know I really don't care but apparently they're getting a divorce Oh my gosh Well I mean I I I could literally couldn't care less but <laughs> he's wow. a president he, he's a presidential candidate so you know it is kind of notable Yeah man that's 
Wow. Right. Okay. Well, no, that. Who was her? Um, who was her MBA husband for like two minutes? What was? His oh, name? I, uh, Chris Humphreys, who I got the cover when he was with the Wizards, and the whole time, all we all wanted to do was like, dude, can we just ask you about uh, what's going on? But like, we, we were all think too, like, we, we were none, none of us had the had the, had the nerve to ask too many questions, so uh, it didn't happen. Well, it didn't last that long. I mean. I'm glad her relationship with Kanye lasted a bit longer, at least. Good for them. Yeah, good for them. Um, mm -hmm. Speaking of uh, lineup rotations, so Ron Rivera told us today he may be rotating the quarterbacks. <laughs> All right, here's. Yeah, I'll believe that when I see it. I mean. Okay. Yeah, so, so here's my question. I mean, obviously, I've said this before in the podcast, this isn't rocket science, but like part of this job is figuring out what the coach is saying and what does it mean? Is he saying what he means? Sometimes he does. Is he saying something he's trying to get a message to the players, uh, to us, to wh whomever else? Uh, and what, what does it mean? So when he comes out today, so just to set the scene for anybody who may have seen the, the headline that Ron Rivera, what, I don't remember the exact question, but some version of uh, basically how do you kind of get Alex Smith through the game or, or whatever. And he said, well, we may even have to rotate him and, and Taylor Heineke. It was the first question, and he said it as casually as I might as, as I might tell you. Yeah, I had uh, coffee uh, earlier today, and I put a little cream in there. I mean, it wasn't like it was no. It, it just came out. These guys, coaches, don't tell you anything about anything if they don't want to. So why is he telling us that he might do this? Is he telling us because a he wants to put something? I think that's a lot of. Why Ron says as little or as much as he does about his plans for a game or anything they're considering. Um, that I mean, said, I, I think any other coach could probably see through it. I mean, I, I think there is truth in that. Yeah, Alex is hurt, obviously. It was very clear to everybody that he, and he even said it, um, his calf got worse throughout the game against Philly, um, it limited his mobility, obviously, um, that much is clear. Um, but to say that, you know, they're going to rotate quarterbacks within a game, you know, you take the first quarter Taylor, you get the second quarter. I'm not really seeing that. I mean, I, you know, he could be shooting us straight and it, you know, it, at this point, yeah, they're considering, all options, um, whether or not they actually do it is we'll see. And, and I feel like if it gets to a point where you're like, all right, let's put in Taylor and he gets hot, you're just going to take him out and keep the rotation going. Or how's that going to work? Like, um, I don't know if any two quarterback schemes have actually been successful. And you know what they say when you have two quarterbacks, what do they say? You have zero quarterbacks. Um, yeah, the, uh, I, I mean, yeah, so he either, I mean, he also told us after the game, like right after the game that he debated taking Alex out. So if you're already putting it out there, you might as well just lean into it and say, well, hell, I, who knows? Maybe I will. I, I, I can't believe he's, I mean, I think it's like one of however many possibilities they're coming up with from a game plan perspective. It's one of several. He decided mm -hmm. to throw it out. So then when we asked him six more questions about it, he didn't get mad. He was definitely like he talked about it. He knows exactly what he's saying. Ron always knows what he's saying to media. You know, uh, uh, knows right. exactly what he is, what he's saying. Which is why I think they're going to start Logan Thomas on Saturday. No, I'm oh no, oh. I, I, 
if there's a prop bet out there that says will Logan Thomas throw a pass, I would bet that because you know technically he could he could get it and then run it. But the point of this isn't whether they rotate. It's how do we get through sixty minutes and finish with the lead? Yeah, exactly. I know that's the obvious. So whatever you have to do, run you know run a lot so you keep Tom Brady off the field. Treat this like a baseball game where you have the opener, whatever that means, and then you know bullpen by committee, meaning the two quarterbacks. And you, you, you flip in Logan Thomas, you go direct snaps to Antonio Gibson. Whatever you have to do, I don't know, is, is whatever you have to do. I think the only question I would have is, like, does he – is there something they can actually do during the game to keep Alex Smith as good as possible and thus taking him off the field for time beyond sitting when the defense is on the field? Is that, like, the, the thing that we're, where he sort of maybe is telling us what's going to happen? If you need more time to shoot them up with painkillers at halftime, that's the only reason I can, I can, I mean, well, I mean, I, I, I don't I, know I, what two minutes of rest is going to do for a calf strain, you know, like, well, like I, I, like at some point here during, especially during the summer, I was looking at one of those like massage gun things, you know, maybe they just like, you know, take one of those things. I got like, one of those. Did you? Do I, yeah, what are they're that? super weird. Is but they work, right? they work, you know, for all my extensive, like, you know, Olympic type injuries that I have. Uh, all right, well, you're going to have to tell me because I was contemplating this. I, I suspect there'll be a lot more online shopping once the season's over because I'll just be uh, bored and not know what else to uh, to, to, to do. Um, speaking of like things that Ron Rivera says, I, I thought this was interesting. Let me pull this up. Or I'm just sort of curious what you think. Uh, so the game – hold on. Where, oh, crap. I just lost it here. Hold on. So the game ends and – uh, he he's the first question to Ron Rivera after the game is about what does this win, win mean to him? This is the fourth sentence. So they just made the playoffs, regardless of how bad the game was and all that stuff. The fourth sentence, it's kind of a double-edged sword, though, because obviously we play Saturday night against Tampa Bay. We got the first place schedule next year, which is not going to be easy, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, they just make the playoffs. He's talked about the playoffs all year. None of us were believing it really until it got to the end and all the other teams fell off. And his first thought in that moment where it to me felt like he wasn't trying to send a message, this is what he was thinking. He brings up that. Do you think on some level they got to the end and he's like, oh, shit, wait a minute. I know we talked about making the playoffs. I don't know if I really thought we would. And now next year when I think we can really take a leap, I, I just put us in a position where we have a much tougher schedule and, uh, you know, maybe the, and, and now the lower draft pick and all that kind of stuff. Is this, do we think at all he was like, oh, wait, this is kind of cool, but shit, I just made next year now a lot more complicated. I think he thought, oh, Tom Brady's next. <laughs> Guess it ends next week. Um, that was that was my first thought. Um, I thought it was odd that he didn't mention the draft pick instead of the first place schedule because, you know, they could have had, a, what, as high as 10th had they lost that game? Um, well, he was he was seeding that ground to all the to the uh, Peterson talk. Yeah, um, but yeah, I don't know. He overall, he, he seemed pretty happy. He's been in a good mood for like three days straight now. So um, I think he he's kind been. of pumped about making the playoffs. Um, but yeah, it, there is gonna come up point, and I would imagine it's Saturday night when. Yeah, the, the parade ends and all right, where do you go from here? You keep saying this is the first step. What's next? You know, um, so maybe he was starting to think that. But yeah, I guess when you bring it up, it's it is odd to kind of 
bring that up post game. But I also think Ron is, is again, somebody who reads everything that is written and knows a bit about what we're thinking and what we're going to ask. And, you know, there, there is that, I mean, yeah, you had some success early and it's gonna, you're gonna have to pay for it in some capacity in the off season. Um, you know, but you know, there are other benefits too, to the playoffs, um, like with free agency and, and trying to attract veteran players who maybe wouldn't otherwise come here if you had yet another losing season. Right. I, I mean, this is not like if they had lost Sunday, forget the fact that Philly wasn't trying, but just that they had just lost and therefore they would have lost the last two games with, with when you one win to get in. I think it would have put a little bit of emotional damper on the season, even though within a couple of weeks, people would be like, well, all right, we still we have Chase Young, we have Montez Sweat, Terry McLaurin, Gibson. These are all the guys that we, we have young players moving forward. Things are better, but it would have felt bad because of this. They could lose to Tampa by 40, and I don't think it really makes any difference, especially considering the quarterback circumstance. I mean, I guess if the defense were to get rolled, maybe that would be you know something, but it's still Tom Brady and all that stuff. Um, I, and so it does feel like he's already, he has accomplished everything he wanted to. This is like, for me, a couple of weeks ago when the whole thing with Dwayne Haskins and he let him play and, he, and some people were like, well, he's awesome credibility. I'm like, he's gained so much with this team already as a stock chart. He's already up by 200%. He maybe took a 10% dip. He's achieved everything he's wanted at this point, other than the fact that he has no quarterback. Well, he may think he does with Kyle Allen, but they don't have a quarterback. Other than that, he's already achieved everything. So the, this whole thing about house money, it sounds coach talk. I think it's right. I don't think I, yeah, this, this, yeah, whatever yeah. happens this, Sunday, Saturday, I keep saying Sunday, whatever happens, the mazel tov, they, they've already, they have already won this year. Right. I would agree. I mean, I, I mean, like he said, nobody expected him to make it this far. I certainly didn't expect him to take this kind of leap in year one. And I think a lot of it is because he decided to bench Dwayne Haskins in after week four and shift the focus to trying to make the playoffs because they figured out that, yeah, with, you know, a little bit more talent, they, they can win. Um, and in hindsight, he looks like a genius now. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. He, his comment there, I thought it was genuine. They feel like they're playing with house money, but you know, well, you're going to pick Tom Brady in that defense. So, <laughs> um, yeah, no, for, for sure. And and I, I think I noted this uh, earlier in the podcast, but uh, Bruce Arians on his call today when asked about the idea that Washington is this, like underdog, he's like, I'm not looking at the seven and nine team. I'm looking at the team, what their record is when Alex Smith starts. And well, he's, I thought it was a compliment. And I'm like, wait, you just eliminated everything they the rest of the team did in those other games. I mean, there were some pretty good moments, but okay. Yeah, they're only, I mean, I, I agree with them to an extent, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, I tell you what, man, I've been I've been wrong on every step of the Alex Maturity, like all of it. I haven't been right about any one thing. Uh, so, of course, that they probably come out and win and win on uh, a, a win. Right. He's one of the few quarterbacks that has a winning record against Tom Brady all the time, I believe. Yeah. So there you go. I want to see him rush for four touchdowns that <laughs> happen on like one fully functional leg. So watch. Sure. Why, not? Why, why not? <laughs> Um, I know you love predictions, so I'm going to ask you for okay, one. Yeah. Well, this will be the easiest one, but but, but, but hold on. But I, it'll be a little more complicated than that. Um, whenever the season ends, 
as you suggested, maybe Saturday. Mm -hmm. Other things come into play. You asked Rivera today about Brandon Scherf. That's been one of the topics this mm -hmm. offseason. There's all this buzz about the general manager stuff. I talked about that earlier in the podcast. Um, I don't know if it's just because there's a lot of openings, but it feels like, at least in the sort of the Twitter world, there is like an insane amount of updates about how many interviews are happening with coaches and GMs all over the place. Maybe it's because of Zoom that like you don't, you can just do what we're doing right now and just talk over here as opposed to having to fly people in and out. So maybe they're doing more, they're doing four a day instead of one a day or whatever it is. So it feels like there's a lot. Okay, but here's the thing. You're, you're a voice of reason. We've already seen names thrown out there. Uh, we're, you know, whatever. Some of them, the obvious ones, the Marty Hardys, anybody who's ever worked with Ron Rivera at any point in life get, gets a mention. Some other ones. People get so excited about these names. At least Marty Hearn, he was a GM, so you can point to anything. Does anybody have a clue what any of these other people can or can't do as a GM if to, to get excited or not get excited about it? Because my take would be, no. How, yeah. how do you know if Ryan Cowden is good if um, you know, I mean, Martin Mayhew was a GM. You could have some sense of that, but most of these other names, and I'm not, Ryan Cowden just came to my mind. Who who knows? So tell me. Yeah, is there, especially in the structure where, you know, you're asking somebody to basically be the top personnel guy, but not have final say over the roster because Ron has that. Ron has all the power. So, you know, if they were a GM in the past, like Marty Herney was supposedly a traditional GM in Carolina, though Ron had you know, significant say in, in personnel, you know, he called the shot. So is it going to be the same here? No. I mean, I don't think you could, you could make that argument for, for anything, be it, you know, is a quarterback going to be good here if he was good elsewhere? I think what you look at is, you know, how did he work with, um, you know, others on the staff? And we do know that Ron likes familiarity. Um, he likes to bring his guys I mean, half the staff is from Carolina. So um, would it surprise me if Marty Herney is hired? Absolutely not. Um, I, I still do kind of wonder why. Because um, you, you have that top personnel guy already. So if it's, if it's Marty Herney. What will Kyle Smith do? It, it seems odd. Um, and it does seem like, you know, that first offseason um, produced some some pretty good players in the draft and free agency. So, you know, there are those questions. There's still the, the, the biggest question is, are they actually going to hire a GM? Nobody has flat out said that there's, there's been speculation for what, since Ron was hired, right? Like, you know, is he really going to do it? Ron has all the power. This is not a traditional GM role. It's, you know, how, how do you want to shuffle the decks? Well, you should listen to the first part of the podcast then if you want to hear that, 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 that part of the conversation. No, I'll be sure to listen. Oh no, you won't. Um, all right. Uh, so yeah, no, I mean, I, I, yeah, my, my only, my only say to any people is, I get it. It's exciting. All these things are, I, I, you know, I love all the off-season talk, but don't get worked up about all these names. Hey, nobody knows. At best, you can go is, you know, you'll, you'll hear the various people say, oh, this guy has a great reputation. Well, no shit. Who's gonna come out with a bad? Nobody's gonna come out and say, boy, this guy, what a, <laughs> what a dummy. Don't don't hide. Nobody's gonna say that. So, just take it for what it's worth. The, the, the real question is, as as your Nikki saying, what is what is the role? What is, what is Ron Rivera willing to cede, or does he just want to maintain what it is? But maybe have a more experienced person than thirty six year old Kyle Smith in that sort of 
ahead of well, the that, And that's the other thing. What does UDM experience? Is it GM experience? Is it, you know, basic time in an NFL personnel department or front office? Is Do you want somebody with more scouting experience, more um, executive experience? What, what does he deem experience? Um, there's still like the most important questions are still um, uncertain, um, you know, and how would that role fit in with this coach centric structure? You know, what does Rob Rogers report to the GM? Does Rob report to Ron? There's a lot of stuff that is fluid and you're smiling as if I know more than you. Um, well, <laughs> I know you, that smile. You, de- you definitely know more than me, but okay. no, I, I, the, the, the term coach centric, it's going to reach a point it's where if so- I don't ever hear it again, I'm good. <laughs> Yeah, I'm good. So, I'm good. <laughs> like, I, and and I feel like everybody's treating this as like some groundbreaking new development. Like, Mike Shanahan had coach centric everywhere he went. He had all the power, right? I mean, Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh was essentially <laughs> the coach in the GM. Exactly. Exactly. It's you know, it's it's slightly different from some other ones out there, but this is not like a, a new like fantastic development. I mean, it's Seattle is is probably similar. We'll see if John Schneider lasts there. Um, but it's not like this brand new thing. I think more coaches would love to have say over everything. And, you know, what is Walsh is saying to be able to pick the groceries if you're doing the cooking, right? That's Parcells, right? Parcells. Oh yeah. Um, while we're talking, um, one of the dominoes has reportedly fallen with the Texans. Nick Casario. Yeah. Uh, Dang. Bill loses his quarterback and his top personnel guy in subsequent years. That is brutes. So here's what I would say to this. I couldn't begin to tell you anything about Nick Casero specifically, but I would just say this. One, if the person is coming from Bill Belichick, then and I'm not getting Bill Belichick, that makes me worried. Two, isn't New England personnel really not great? The whole point was Brady left, and like they completely fell apart. I think Brady is the GOAT, but – they they have so many holes, so I don't quite get that. But apparently, this guy has a great reputation. So, you know, m- maybe he's gonna take the, the Belichick DNA with him, and from that, the so there's this thing in the NFL where a lot of a team's success is um, dependent on the quarterback. I've heard this. Yeah. So, like we talk about, oh, coach-centric models that work elsewhere. They work where they have like really super great quarterbacks. Like, well, they brought well, North Turner here in Seattle and. Pat Mahomes in Kansas City. It's amazing how all these models work when you have a really great quarterback. Well, even when Ron Rivera at his introductory press conference rattled off all the coach-centered stuff, he mentioned Seattle, Kansas City, and New England. I think and the two of them have great quarterbacks. Yeah. They all did. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Um, all right, I know you. I have to get you out of here. So if if things happen, there were, there were Washington – pulls this off or uh, who's who like beyond the obvious forget Chase Young the sort of the obvious who is somebody that you think has to have a big game or maybe somebody you think will surprise in order for Washington to um to to to, to have a, a good chance here Alex Smith it all comes down to Alex Smith so you want to play around with like saying like Cam Sims like because McLaurin might be limited and Cam Sims can make a big play down the field no we're, we're just going to cut out all that and just go straight to it comes down to Alex Smith you know if he can if he can run the offense like you did on their opening drive in Philly. I, I, they have a, they have a good chance. I don't want to say they'll, they'll be fine. They'll have a good chance. They'll have their best chance, but if he can't move and he's getting sacked three times and throwing two picks, 
it, it doesn't matter what Cam Sims is doing. Oh, I think it matters what Cam Sims is doing at all times. Um, get the ball to him. Would you like to Sorry, make a no disrespect to Cam? No, no. Would you like to make a prediction, or has it already been established what your prediction is? You can be specific with your prediction, like a score. Mm, I'm gonna say. To be, 34, 17 bucks. 34, 17 bucks. Are you going to tell Ron Rivera your prediction? Um, no. Okay. Just checking. Um, awesome. All right. Well, cool. 34, 17 bucks. You're on the record. Um, I suspect you're on the right side of there, but we will, uh, we, we will see on uh, Saturday night. Appreciate it. Congrats uh, to you for uh, doing this on the floor. First time I've had somebody do that that I know of. So setting the trend, who knows where 2021 will take us after this. Thank you. All right. See ya. All right. That'll do it for this episode of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Again, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that fun stuff. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Standig. You can, of course, uh, read me on The Athletic, subscribe there. And, of course, find our guests also on Twitter at Nikki Jabala, at Greg Allman. Uh, read their stuff. Obviously, Greg this week is going to be a great source. For all things Tampa Bay Buccaneers, there's a lot to get into. I, I By the way, I, I, I do kind of like Cam Sims as my sort of player to watch in the sense of if something happens, if Washington pulls this off, they're going to need explosive plays on offense. We already know about McLaurin and Gibson and Logan Thomas, but somebody else, and I, and I think Cam Sims, He's been open. He's been he's been he's able to make some plays. I think he could be a guy. But again, I, I guess I didn't technically make a pick. I don't know. I, I don't feel great about picking the Washington football team this week. I'll sort of say that. So I'm not. I, I, Nikki gave a score. I, I guess I'll be bold enough as well. I, I'll go. Um, give me. I, I'll say they hold them under thirty. Give me twenty seven. Thirteen. Uh, something like that. I just don't know how I see Washington scoring unless the defense or special teams does it. So give me 27-13. Um, but look, the, as I said earlier, they've made it this far. Uh, it's It's been an interesting ride and in in what a crazy year. But the bigger it, it picture, going forward, they're in a great position. But if going forward means one more week in the playoffs, nobody's going to complain about that. So that's it for now. I, maybe I'll have another podcast later this week. We'll see how the week goes, but I wanted to at least get in this one here with a couple of great guests and let you guys know about the GM stuff. So that's it for now here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. Until next time. See you.